0: Uh was it me biz? Hey and
1: Back with you another edition of the Degenerate Hawkeyes Podcast, Trenton Biz talking the world of Hawkeye athletics with you as we get ready to flip the calendar to 2021 and Friday, Biz. We all return back to normal, is that right? We can go to a bar again?
0: I sure yeah. If you uh if you want to be that guy. If I, I assume radio hosts are high on the uh the list of who gets vaccinated first, Trent. You should be vaccinated pretty soon, shouldn't you?
1: Well, I, I have to be up there back at the beginning of the pandemic. I was considered what was the uh the terminology for well frontline workers, but I, I was necessary whatever essential? reason it was. Yes, yeah that, that You're was an essential worker, term? I, I wow. was an essential sure. worker. Yeah, I'm I am providing information. For the people, at least that's what they told us inside the building here. We got nice little cards in case we got pulled over. If it got to that point, luckily, uh, we didn't quite go that far.
0: Sometimes providing misinformation. Well. I guess it's still information. This may not be accurate information.
1: Potato, potato. And and who says potato? Nobody says potato, but here we are. What we are here to talk about, Biz, are the Hawkeyes. And uh, a football season that comes to a close, a basketball season, well, underway now after the win last night against Northwestern. Let's go football first, though, as we put a cap on things. We'd be getting ready for kickoff here in just a couple of hours as we record just over just afternoon Central Time, biz. Certainly uh, leaves a, a bit of a sour taste in the mouth, not getting the final game of the regular season, Champions Week, and then what happened here in the bowl game.
0: Yeah, the whole thing is just kind of silly that it's kind of embarrassing that the NCAA can't come up with. Set requirements for teams that are going to play in the bowl. I mean, it's just ridiculous that Missouri is able to do totally different things than what Iowa or other bowl participants are doing. I mean, if you don't want to be in the bowl, don't be in the bowl. But if you're going to commit to a bowl, then you probably shouldn't send a uh, 100 plus, uh, you know, 20 year holds home for four days beforehand. And, and, you know, the NCAA doesn't have any requirements or rules saying you can or cannot. And, you know, it's just, the whole the whole thing is kind of ridiculous. I think it's silly how angry some people got about the whole thing, and you know, really were fired up at Missouri. But I don't know the Michigan game and the Missouri game. I have a hard time getting getting too angry about anything this year. I'm I'm happy we got eight games in because it sort of looked like we weren't going to get any, and I'm really happy that we we got six state wins because uh, you know, you think back a couple months, it looked like it was going to be. Uh, a train wreck of a season and and just a train wreck of a year all around for Iowa football. And certainly things ended on a high note. It would have been nice that it could have uh, got a bowl game in, but I have a hard time getting too angry about the whole situation.
1: I'm right there with you. And this Missouri team, even if they would have shown up, I I think everybody knew you see it. I was favored by more than two touchdowns going into it. That on paper, it was going to be a blowout. That was a team that had really checked out over the last half of the season. And it would have been a drubbing. Would have been fun to see. And, The one that I think bothers me more, I was reading a piece with Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. uh, I think it was maybe Monday or maybe even last week, regardless. uh, An article from him talking about the cancellation of the Music City Bowl, but he also mentioned the cancellation of the Michigan game. I didn't realize that the Michigan numbers, at least as it pertains to actual active COVID cases for student-athletes inside the, the Michigan Athletic program, it was like a dozen. We don't even know how many of those were Football players, and with the daily testing that the Big Ten was doing, contract tracing was not supposed to be a big part of this. It, that left me more. Michigan just was done. They weren't playing there. That, in fact, when I was reading through that, left a worse taste in my mouth. Biz, I know you're an athletic subscriber. Did you read the same thing?
0: Uh, I didn't text. I, I, I generally read all of Scott Dockman's articles. I, I think he's a great writer, and, and usually uh, I read every single one but i did not read that but uh, probably good i didn't because it probably would have got my blood boiling to read that but uh, I, I did not realize i i had just heard what everybody else heard that they had their numbers were skyrocketing but apparently that wasn't it wasn't the case it was more the numbers must have been more contract tracing than anything
1: let me find it here i, I want to find the exact quote so here's the quote from uh, dr Men's article at The Athletic. The Hawkeyes were set to face Michigan and Kinnick Stadium. The Wolverines had lost their final two regular season games to COVID-19 issues, but seemed intent on playing Iowa. On Tuesday of game week, Michigan backed out because of continual COVID-19 issues. Michigan recorded just six positive cases among all its athletes during game week and thirty-six in total over a four-week period. Those numbers of that thirty-six number includes football, men's basketball, women's basketball, and hockey. But just six athletes total during game week. Here, the Wolverines were ducking the Hawkeyes. I think it's as simple as that.
0: I think you need another reason to hate Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines. Yeah. You know, at this point, it's we could we could probably complain about that stuff all day long. Yeah, that's uh, true. At some at some point, it's time to just uh, you know, close the close the door on the season and, and kind of look look at it big picture. And you know, by all accounts, it's a really really good season. And you know, the thing that I was thinking about this later earlier this week is, you know, last three years, just how close this Iowa team was to some really 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 special seasons. I mean, don't get me wrong, we were twenty five and nine the last three years, and, and couple bowl wins and, and, you know, really good seasons all around. But, man, we be really close to being a really special. Nine losses. They were losses by 11, 6, 2, 4, 7, 5, 2, 4, and 1. And the 11-point loss was the loss to the Badgers where we were actually ahead with, with three minutes to go. So you're looking at three years in a row, where we were in every single ball game until the last minute. So... You know, again, not complaining. We had a very good three-year stretch here, and I think the future is bright. But, man, we were close to a really, really special
1: season. I'm right there with you. I think 2018 was the one that you will look back upon and say, boy, that should have been the year that they got it done. You can say the same about this year and how different it would have been if they would have beat Northwestern and not chucked it around 50 times in that football game. And we wouldn't be talking about cancellations. We'd be talking about a team – Getting ready for some kind of game, you would think, but that's where we are. A big picture, the future of the program. We'll we'll have a full-off season to talk about it. We'll certainly get into it here as spring football gets started, but, but I'm incredibly optimistic. I love where Iowa is. I like the way that they've recruited. It's hard to find a whole lot of negatives. Now it's just about breaking through and taking over that spot of Wisconsin, not letting Northwestern be that team that becomes the perennial team getting there from the west. Five years in a division like the Big Ten West, Iowa should be there. Now it's time to break through.
0: Well, the future certainly seems to have gotten a little brighter this week as well. I mean, from all accounts, the kid from you and I, like Xavier mm-hmm. Williams, is a stud. Van Volkenberg just announced right before we started that he's returning. I've heard from multiple sources that it sounds like Linderbaum is intent on on returning, and, and I think you and I both have heard rumors that there may be one or two other uh, seniors that decide to come back as well. So, yeah, there's there's plenty of reasons to be optimistic for Iowa football for the, you know, not just next year, but the years to come. I think they've really, you know, the coaching staff has really found some, some success in recruiting. They, they've done a nice job of, uh, you know, they've always been good at developing, but boy, The NFL pipeline has really changed these last few years, and I think that's really going to help them going forward because, you know, once again this year, they're probably going to have two, at least two guys in the first couple rounds. I mean, I think, you know, Nixon sounds like he's definitely a first rounder, and I think Larry Jackson's probably a first, you know, first or second rounder. So that can only help going forward.
1: Uh, No doubt about it. And for guys that are looking for that final year, it didn't work out for Koi Kronk, but guys looking for an opportunity to improve their stock, there's a Pretty good place at Iowa City that you can go for that final season. I think that's something. Now, one other aspect of that is the quarterback spot. I know when things were not going very well for Petrus, we talked about possibility of a grad transfer quarterback going in. I don't know. Do you, do you think at the very least they're going to dip their toe and sniff around a little bit to see if there's anybody out there, or for all intents and purposes, Spencer Petrus is the quarterback for 2021.
0: Well, I mean, I think the coaching staff has shown last couple of years, they're willing to dip their toe in about any area if they think it can help the team. They're, I mean, they went out and they have got a, got a couple last year. They've already got Williams coming in for next year. Um, having said that, I don't think they will. I, mean, I think they'll look, but unless somebody falls in their lap that they think is, you know, really, really good, uh, I, I think they're content moving forward with Petrus. And I think he showed enough these last couple of games that I think it's maybe time of the Time is a fan base to maybe embrace that he is uh, the quarterback going going forward. I mean, it, yeah, we talked about it a lot this year, Trent. He was not very good at times, but he certainly seems to have the backing of his teammates, and, and he's certainly got the skill set. I mean, he's got a heck of an arm, and he's got mobility, but you know, I don't know. If, again, if somebody falls in their lap, They'll take him, but I don't think they're gonna be actively going out trying to, you know, take whatever quarterback comes comes down the pipe.
1: Yeah, it's not just gonna be a roll of the dice with a, a guy that's never played before yet. It's gotta be somebody I'm gonna guess pretty special to upset the apple cart. Anything else on football, Biz, before we turn our attention to some hoops?
0: Well, as we're speaking, Trent, Graham Mertz just threw an absolutely atrocious interception. In ah, that second. wasn't
1: Graham Mertz, what? though. That that was Wolf, the uh his back. Oh yeah.
0: What happened? Is Mertz out again?
1: I don't know if he got hurt. I just saw that it was Wolf that came into the game.
0: Well, whoever it was, it was atrocious throw. We're not the only team with quarterback issues.
1: True story. And, uh, yeah, who's going to be the quarterback next to Northwestern after Patrick Ramsey departs after this season? Yeah, maybe not a bad place to be with Spencer Petras, the little John going on at halfway with Wake Forest and Wisconsin. Biz to basketball and Iowa After the loss on Christmas night to Minnesota, drops to number 11 in the coaches poll. AP at number 10. Ken Pomeroy, though, still has them very high. They were fifth going into the game last night against Northwestern. Jump up to number four. A frustrating night in the loss to the Gophers, no doubt. A lot of the old concerns defensively cropped up there. got a dude hitting eight out of nine. You got a car just going nuts all over the place. It was a frustrating night, but... There's going to be plenty of frustrating nights. I have a feeling playing in the Big Ten.
0: Yeah, you know the old, the old Denny Denny Green quote. Trent, we they are who we thought we they are. I mean, it's it's good. Get ready because it's going to be the year where the whole year is going to be great offense with not so great defense. I mean, it's just you know there's going to be stretches and games where you're going to want to you know throw something at your television because we just we we don't put together 40 minutes of consistently good defense. We just don't. And, you know, last night was a good example. We, we played, you know, really good defense at times. Mm-hmm. And against the Gophers, actually, you know, if, if that game just ends the way it should have ended, we make our free throws, you know, you're, you're looking at an 82-75 victory. You're looking at three straight games where the defense held teams, you know, under their, their average. And we're talking about the defense is, uh, you know, better than anticipated. But, you know, we're we're always going to be an offensive-minded team, and we're you know it's it it's going to be frustrating at times. But you know, let's let's look big picture. This team's played, you know, they played a, a above-average Purdue team and beat them by more than fifteen. They played a above-average Northwestern team, and beat them by fifteen, and, and they had the Gophers, uh, you know, one hundred percent beat and and just blew it. So you know. Big picture, I think this team is who we thought they were, and I think they, they've still got a heck of a chance to have a really good year. It's just uh, you know, every once in a while you got to talk yourself off the ledge because there's going to be some frustrating moments in this year.
1: So there's – you know I love Ken Pomeroy and uh, his numbers. There's some things, though, that I have no idea what they are. Maybe somebody mathematically can uh, help me out here. Iowa right now leads the country in something that is called – non-steal turnover percentage. Does that mean teams that turn it over, basically throw it out of bounds the most against Iowa? Is that how you'd read it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I assume. I mean, last night was a good example. Yeah, I mean, Northwest, Northwestern, for as good as they played at times, had just six or seven just atrocious turnovers where it was literally, you know, a double dribble one time, a shot clock <laughs> violation, a couple of travels where they just kind of... Uh,
1: There's like four straight trips they had that.
0: Yeah, so well, I'm assuming that's what it falls huh. I'm guessing what that means is more luck than anything. But, yeah. uh, I mean, it's certainly not due to our defensive tenacity that's causing these. Uh these
1: non field turnovers. Maybe uh, just the awfulness uh, discombobulates the team offensively too much and they just throw it away. And, and it's also interesting, he does have a luck component. And Iowa, year after year, is one of the worst teams statistically in his luck category, however he, he categorize, uh, categorizes that. But uh, just some interesting numbers. The most important, though, offensively, one of the best in the country. Defensively, they're 94th in the country. And it really kind of just breaks things down to just what this team is. A fun team to watch. And... Biz, I want to run something by you here. So having a conversation with a Hawkeye buddy. And we were talking before last night's game about Keegan Murray. Now, last night he was, I mean, I think probably his best game, and he's had plenty of good ones in terms of what he did offensively, the dunks, the threes, just everything that he did there, and, of course, the rebounding and the things that we've seen. And we were trying to find the right comp for him. Nicholas Baer was talked about. A little bit more athletic, certainly than Barrel, in, in early in his career. But that anticipation was a part. And then I st- honed into a guy, Chris Street. Chris Street with the size, the athletic ability, the ability to step out and shoot from the outside—something that wasn't big part of a power forward, you know, game back in the early '90s that we're talking about here. But what do you think of the comparison there, Keegan Murray and Chris Street?
0: Those are big shoes to fill. Uh, that's uh, yeah, I think that's probably a fair comparison. I still think at least for now, the Nick Baer comparison is probably a a little more realistic just because, I mean, Keegan Keegan's been, obviously he has exceeded everybody's expectations you know, tenfold but I also think, I mean, part of that is due to the fact that you know, he's allowed to come in and he's there's they're not running set plays for him. He doesn't have to do anything other than just be really good at the things he's good at, which is, you know Go in and rebound, use his length, uses his, his effort, and do those types of things. You know what happens next year after Garza leaves? Is he able to step up and and you know do it for 25, 30 minutes a game? I think he is, but until he does that, I, I, I'm I'm a little bit hesitant to make any you know comparisons of Chris Street who was you know on the verge of becoming you know All-American quality when he when he tragically passed. So, but I, I do think it's it's an interesting comparison. I think it's probably you know. <laughs> That's his ceiling, I would think. Yeah. If, he can get, if he can get to crease street level, boy, that would be uh, that'd be nice.
1: <laughs> we would take that. Sign up. Where do I sign? And take that. So, uh, Stat Boy's got some information, I know, in basketball and just how good this Big Ten is again this year. Anything before we dive into that Stat Boy information?
0: No, I mean, there were two things last night that I really thought were huge for the Hawks. One's obviously, just getting the, the confident slash cocky jbo back i know he is a he's kind of been a whipping boy for our our fan base and people like to criticize him and he, he can make himself really easy for criticism because he puts himself out there and, and tends to for whatever reason get into fights with with trolls but <laughs> um but the fact of the matter is we need him i mean we really do i mean joe tucson is a good player and he is in certain games, he's really needed. But last night was a perfect example where Northwestern didn't have the athletes to pressure Jaybo, and he was able to, to to get loose. And you know, he just adds that element that you know when you get him, Weevcamp, and Frederick all shooting the ball, we are there's not a team in the nation we can't beat. And you know, with him at, back at his cocky himself, that, that's helpful. The other thing, you know, I don't know, I will want to make too big a deal out of this but the last two games Luca Garza has looked a bit off which it's not fair to him because you know he was such a machine for so long but the last two games I don't know I mean I'd like to get your take on this but he just seems a bit hesitant I mean everything he does seems a little uh you know when when he's confident it's just boom step and go and you know he, he goes before the double team gets there and I just thought Minnesota and Northwestern, both games, he didn't seem like his usual uh, aggressive self.
1: Yeah, I see a little bit of that, and you wonder if he's uh, just trying to be more cognizant of getting the ball out of there quicker, and it leads to a little bit of brain lock at times that is happening, too much thinking out there. But yeah, you do see that. with The guy that we saw... You know, even in the Gonzaga game where he wasn't great, but going back to the games before that against Carolina where he was just getting absolutely hammered by the different guys, that relentless, relentless nature hasn't quite been there at the same level. Wore down a little bit. That could be the case, but the unfortunate part is you got two road games coming up, and these next 17 games are going to be an absolute slog through this conference schedule. But, yeah, I, I think you're right, something – he looks a little bit different than the guy we saw at the beginning of the year.
0: Yeah. And, and again, it's it's not fair to him because it's a victim of his yeah, own right. you know crazy success. And, you know, I, I, and I'm not, I'm, I'm confident that whatever issues he may have, it'll get through it and be the usual amazing Luca. But it's been nice to see actually that, you know, the team like last night, especially they didn't need him. I mean, yeah. you know, he got, he got outplayed by uh, those Western big guys. There's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Nance and the other uh, chubby little kid uh, whooped him. I mean, he probably gave up 30 points on the defensive end and scored 18, which, you know, he's never going to be a great defender. But last night at Times, he was a truly poor defender. But, but you know, it's obviously we're going to need him going forward, and I'm confident he'll be there going forward. Because you, know, you mentioned it earlier the first half of this Big Ten schedule, once we get through, if we can get through Rutgers and Maryland. Even at, you know, even if you can go one and one those yeah. next two, the next five after that, Trent boy, they are very very winnable. I mean, four of the five are at home, and I can't remember who the road game is. I mean, think at Northwestern. I believe. It is, yep. So I mean, hey, you get through the next two one and one, there's a pretty decent chance this team can get to eight and two going into Illinois uh, at the end of January.
1: And you need to build that kind of lead because we've mentioned it before. And I mentioned it again, starting with that game at Illinois on January 29th. At Illinois, home for Ohio State, at Indiana, home for Rutgers, and then this. At Michigan State, at Wisconsin, Penn State at home, all right, there's your respite. At Ohio State, at Michigan, and finish up with the Badgers again, this time back in Carver. That last six is ridiculous, including places that have been houses of horrors for Iowa throughout the years, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Michigan at times. It just its tough. Get those wins now. If you want to win that regular season title, something biz, you were around four, but you don't remember. You were three. I wasn't even born four. You have to get off to a good start.
0: Yeah, and it's, you know, I was flat out wrong. I think the last podcast I talked about that, I thought maybe the Big Ten, the middle – and below maybe wasn't as good as I thought they were going to be. And clearly I was wrong on that because, I mean, the Big Ten, this is might be as good as it's ever been, when you, especially when you talk about depth. I mean, mm-hmm. nine teams are ranked now, and one of the teams that's not ranked, Maryland, looked fabulous against <laughs> Wisconsin. So, I mean, there's, I mean again, I, I couldn't have been more wrong. I, I do think it's an interesting year. I think you're going to see a little bit similar to what you saw in football, which is some of the blue bloods may not be as good as you think. Michigan State might be the worst team in the conference right now. I think Ohio State watching them, I think they could end up being you know, 10th place or below. Indiana's another team, I, I think they could end up being bottom half. And even Michigan, I know they're 2-0 and right now. At times I've watched them, I, I, I don't buy into them at all. So I think a couple of those teams you threw out there, I mean, I think by the time we get late in the year, I'm not sure the Michigan-Ohio State games are going to be quite as – quite as daunting as we think they are, but but again, that's coming from a guy who last again, last podcast claimed that the Big Ten wasn't as good as I thought it was.
1: So. <laughs> and I like that Ohio State team. I, I see them at times, maybe there should be more, maybe it's just because of what Holtman did early in his career in Columbus, and, and I just have so much respect for that guy. They're very inconsistent, though, and they're trying to you know, figure out exactly how they're replacing Wesson inside, who was such a big piece of what they were. I think they're going to be good at the end of the year. I agree with you in Michigan, though. They haven't played anybody at this point. Yeah, they're undefeated, but their schedule, their best win right now is against Penn State. Their second best win is against Toledo. We don't know a whole lot about Juwan Howard's team at this point. So I see them probably taking a pretty big slide back towards the back half of that pack. Uh, of the group of teams, but they still got Eli Brooks. Isaiah Livers is still there. Franz Wagner, yeah, another Wagner making his way through his sophomore campaign. And they got a big guy, a uh, freshman that's 7 1, that's really, really talented too. So who knows? It's going to be good. It's going to be tough. But you said Stat Boys got some info for us. What does he have? Well,
0: you know, talking about the Big Ten being the best ever, you know, I. I Gave Statboy, the assignment, I kind of combined two things here. First, with Luca Garza's streak ending last night, Trent, I uh, asked him to look into that streak. You, I assume you saw it, but did you see who held the uh, streak of 20 consecutive games in the Big Ten before Garza?
1: I did not. I was, uh, as you know, last night I was behind you guys, uh, putting the kids to bid last night, so I didn't get started until later on. So I was doing some fast-forwarding. So I didn't see, I'm going to guess, what, uh, Glenn Robinson?
0: No, that's, you'd think it would be Glenn Robinson or Glenn Rice, but it actually goes back even farther. It was Dennis Hobson, 86-87 uh, Ohio State, so, which when I saw that, I had to look into Dennis Hobson a little bit and also do a comparison of this year to the 86-87 uh, year because I think that's historically when you talk great Big Ten seasons, that's one of them that really pops out because, uh, you know, as Iowa's, best season of our lives, and they still didn't win the Big Ten. So first, looking at Dennis Hobson, he averaged uh, 29.5 points a game that year. So similar to Luca, but uh, even with him, that Ohio State team was was only sixth in the Big Ten. So you ready to dig into the 1986-87 Big Ten season a little bit?
1: Oh, this one sounds uh, right up my alley. I'm ready for it.
0: All right. So the first thing... The interesting thing, back in 1986-87, it was weird because the Big Ten only had 10 teams. What what a, what a novel <laughs> concept that a, a conference named the Big Ten only had 10 teams. So that season, uh, there were six really, really good teams in the Big Ten and then four absolutely terrible teams. But let, let's dig into the six good ones. Um, there were... Co-Big Ten champs that year, Trent, it was not the Hawks. Uh-huh. Who were the co-Big Ten champs in 86, 87?
1: Uh, that would be Indiana, who went on to win the national championship, and Illinois?
0: No, it's a team that gets forgotten, but they were incredible for a couple of years. The Purdue Boilermakers. Uh-huh. Indiana and Purdue both went 15-3. and The next year, 87-88, Purdue went 16-2 and and won the Big Ten by three games just dominated the Big Ten. So that Indiana team, obviously, will go down in history. They were national champs that year. Had Alford, Dean Garrett, Keith Smart, uh, Callaway, just a really good team. The Purdue team, though, when you look at it, they've got some uh, well-known names there as well. You Melvin McCants, Everett Stevens, Todd Mitchell, Troy Lewis, You know, some, some pretty impressive talent uh, for Purdue. They kind of get lost in the shuffle the Hawks got third that year, one game back. Ironically, what cost them to share the Big Ten title was early in the year they lost at home to Dennis Hobson and Ohio State. It was their only quote-unquote bad loss of the year. The other three Big Ten losses were all on the road to, to really good teams. But uh, that Hawks team had five players in double figures. Can you name all five? I'll give you a hint mm-hmm. at the start. It was not all of the, the quote-unquote big three.
1: Okay, so we're going to cross Horton off the list.
0: Correct. Horton averaged eight points a game that year. He was only a sophomore. So, so who, are the, who are the five that averaged big it's double digits? You
1: got B.J. and Roy, the sophomores. Yep, that's two. You got Gamble. Yep. You got my boy Jeff Moe.
0: That's correct. And the last one?
1: Not Horton. Those big guys, nobody uh,
0: – Oh yeah, you know you're 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 correct. He a big guy, but Jerry, Wright? Nope, a lank, lanky left hander. Trent, <laughs>
1: a bucket of Celtic and Brad Lowhouse.
0: You betcha, Brad Brad Lowhouse. All of them averaged uh, between eleven and thirteen that year. Hawks went uh, fourteen and four. It still wasn't good enough for a Big Ten title. So then you could jump down the list. Fourth place was Illinois. This was a. Uh, a little before the, the true flying line, Illinois was great the next couple of years, but that 86-87 team was pretty young. They still had Ken Norman and Lil' Hamilton, but then you had Bardo and Gill were only freshmen that okay. year. Fifth place was Michigan. with uh, They were also a little young at the time. They had Gary Grant, <laughs> young Glenn Rice, a young Louis Vaught, and uh, Antoine Jobert in the middle. And then sixth place you had Ohio State with uh, – Dennis Hobson Jay Burson and uh, not much else um, and then the, the bottom four like I said the, the bottom really drops out on the big ten the, the bottom four um, Michigan state was six and twelve Wisconsin four and 14 Minnesota two and 16 and Northwestern one and 17 and uh, I looked through their rosters and not a, not a memorable name in the bunch between the four so when you compare the two you know clearly I'm not sure that the top of the Big Ten this year has those nationally great teams like Indiana and Purdue and Iowa. But uh, when you talk depth, I'm not sure there's ever been more depth in the Big Ten than there is right now.
1: Well, there there was a great name for Wisconsin. Wasn't, uh, wasn't Trent Edwards or something on that team? I just remember they had a Trent, and I was just absolute baffled it was the only Trent that I, I remember ever seeing in my life up to that point when I was like seven.
0: Right, I'll take your word for that one, Trent. <laughs>
1: I think there was, yeah, uh, but not a whole lot else. Yeah, absolutely right. All right, so a fun trip down memory lane. That was a great Big Ten. The Big East once got 11 teams in the NCAA tournament. Of course, they had 16 as a conference during that time back in whatever that was, 2010, 2011, right in that range. 11 would be tough. They were on the precipice of maybe doing that a year ago. If Purdue got it, could have got hot in the Big Ten tournament, of course, that didn't happen. What are we thinking this year on that, and and what else does that boy have before we get there?
0: Well, the last interesting thing, so I had to look at the, the AP Top 25 that year. For as great as the Big Ten was that year, there was never more than four teams ranked in the Top 25, which that shows you a couple of things. One, just how ridiculously good college basketball used to be back then. You, know, you talked about the Big East and – you know, just some of those conferences were ridiculously good. Because that teams like you know Michigan, which had Gary Grant, Rice, Vaught, never got in the top twenty-five at any point that year. And uh, the only teams that were in top top twenty-five all year long were Indiana, Purdue, Iowa, and Illinois. All of them got in the top five at some point, including Iowa got to number one uh, early in the year. So, so yeah, it's interesting. We talked about obviously there's more Big Ten teams now, but nine out of fourteen compared to four out of ten. Uh, the depth, the depth is certainly there this year. So I, I think I think there's a chance. They, they might get 11 in the tournament. I, I think this is a year where you're not going to get a bunch of, you know, be, because of the weird circumstances, you're not going to get a bunch of random teams in. So I think they'll play it safe and they'll put in, put in the uh, the blue blood so they can get uh, you know, plenty of eyes on, on television screens come March.
1: It's pretty easy right now. You cross off Nebraska. I think you can cross off Penn State. And then after that, Michigan State's 0-3. I'm going to guess they'll figure it out. Indiana, really inconsistent. You mentioned Maryland, how good they've looked. We talked about a bunch of those other teams in there. Yeah, it's not a stretch. What helps is to have those bad teams be really bad, where it's basically a guaranteed win against Penn State and Nebraska this year. We saw that a year ago, and that's what helped prop up basically everybody with Nebraska being really bad and with Northwestern being really bad a year ago. That really helps, and... You know what? If Northwestern kind of comes back to the pack and plays like we anticipated, it's probably a good thing for the rest of the conference too.
0: Yeah, I think Nebraska is the only, the only quote unquote automatic win in the Big Ten right here this year, and they'll they'll steal a couple wins from somebody. But you know, other than Nebraska, you better come ready to play against all all, all thirteen of their teams because uh, even even Penn State, I, I think uh, they'll end up winning four, five, six games by the end of the year.
1: Yeah, I I could definitely see that. All right, Biz. So thank you as always to Stat Boy for his information. You got something here, Iowa Sports New Year's resolutions. What's this?
0: Well, I guess you know, at the end of the year, here trying to it's good to kind of look forward and what uh, what things. I guess are you? Uh, I think we did this last year, and, and you talked about that you were going to uh, stop complaining about. Uh, the, the cupcake schedule, and I think I said I was going to try to stop complaining about Fran's stupid uh, two foul rule, and I think we both failed to do that. We still both complain about those things. But just looking ahead, Trent, anything on the Iowa sports calendar that you uh, would like as a fan? You'd like to uh, any resolutions you'd like to make as we jump forward to 2021?
1: Well, I think most people would say it could be a little more positive.
0: Yeah, I think that that probably applies for all fans, and that actually falls in with my resolution, Trent. I, I my goal this year, especially for the basketball season, is to just enjoy it because we just talked about it. There are going to be some bumps in the road for yeah. this team. They're going to lose five, six, seven games. It's just it's going to happen. The, the conference is too tough to get to that point. And you know, after that Minnesota game, there's just so much doom and gloom online. My goal is to. Uh, just enjoy this season because are they a perfect team? Absolutely not. But, uh, man, they're fun to watch, and when, when things are clicking, and if you get the cocky Jabo that you got last night and things are clicking on all cylinders, there's not a team they can't beat on the right day. I mean, are they going to beat Gonzaga more than 20% of the time? No. But no. this is the first time in our lifetime, Trent, that I think we can honestly say if things fall right, this team can win it all.
1: You know, here's one. I need to be protective is not the right word because it's Fran McCaffrey, but you know how annoyed I get with Fran with some of the stupid things that he does in-game. The two-foul rule, not following up three. I think anybody that is a fan of any kind of basketball team, there are going to be things with a longtime coach that is going to annoy you. But I still see so much negativity about Fran, and I see he hasn't done this and hasn't done that. It annoys me because I know what he brought this program back from. This was the depths. This was looked at as such an awful job on a national scale. Iowa basketball was looked at terribly in the country in the eyes of college coaches. And frankly, Iowa was lucky to get Fran McCaffrey as their coach. So I'm going to stick up for Fran even more. There's a resolution. Fran, even though I'm going to still complain about some of the things you do in-game, overall big-picture, continuing to tell Iowa fans how lucky they are to have this guy as their
0: coach. And I think you can say that same thing for Kirk Ferentz too. Yeah. This was this was clearly a make or break nine months for the Iowa football program. I mean this team could have imploded and Kirk could have just kind of rode off into the sunset and he could have taken a totally different approach to this whole thing. He could have said, Nope, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't have any reason to try to improve myself and try to learn and, and make this a better program. And to his credit, boy, is he you can just see it in his tone the last month or two. He's a different guy right now. And I think it, it's you know we talked about it before, but he just seems more engaging with the media. He seems a little more open. You know, he seems a little more, you know, just willing to accept the players for, for who they are. I think he has really shown himself to be, you know, I think all you can do in this situation is you can you can either you can either learn from it and try to be a better person or you can dig your heels in and be a stubborn ass and, and he chose the the right path. So, yeah, I think that's a that's a good resolution in general. Let's let's appreciate the two coaches we have because do they do some things that want to make you pull your hair out at times? Absolutely, but there are way, way more positives of Fran and Kirk than there are negatives.
1: With that, it is time for bets or business. B. Where do you want to go first? Oh, let's talk bets real quick. After
0: evaluating millions of pieces of data in the blink of an eye, the Gambletron 2000 says the winner is Cincinnati by 200 points. Fire you worthless hunk of junk. Are there any? Any bowl game bets to jump out again?
1: you? Oh, uh, yeah, I got a couple on the horizon. I I like Iowa State in a big-time way in the Fiesta Bowl. I do also,
0: unfortunately.
1: Let's hope that doesn't kiss a death. Yes, yeah. I, minus 4.5. I'm surprised this hasn't even ticked up higher, but I just think this is a complete right side. Tulsa tomorrow laying 2.5 against Mississippi State. Leeches is historically terrible in bowl games, Tulsa. Just fell short against Cincinnati in the uh, American Championship game. Really good defensive team here, and they play the style that really does slow down spread the air-raid offenses, so I like that side there. Those are probably my top two that I see. Anything else on your docket?
0: I, I always love any Armed Forces uh, teams in bowl games. They always uh, come ready to play, and they. Uh, I, I, I like Army getting getting seven against a very mediocre West Virginia team. I also just I like for the same reason I like Iowa State. I also really like Northwestern Indiana. I think you got two teams that are really going to want to be there and really uh, have kind of us against the world mentality a little bit. I think Northwestern Indiana have gotten zero respect from anybody, and I think they're both going to come ready to play in those bowl games. Which uh, that's what I always look for in bowl games is which which team wants to be there more, and I think. Uh, yeah, I, I wonder. if I've heard rumors Indiana ole this game. There's still concerns that game might not even happen because Ole mm-hmm. Miss has so many uh, issues with, with with COVID and things. Also, but uh, yeah, but I, I like Iowa State. Unfortunately, I hope, hope we're wrong on that. but Army, Northwestern, and Indiana are the other three that I uh, would would jump on. So. If you're a betting man, go go, uh, go fade all four of those.
1: I am a betting man, no doubt. And uh, we'll be firing also the semifinals. I kind of like Notre Dame in the points. Am I nuts?
0: I actually kind of like, I, I always like Alabama in the first half of, of every uh, game. Yes. Yep. I kind of like them. But I, I could see this being a a backdoor cover for mm-hmm. Notre Dame. I could easily see it being, you know, end up, what, 45 28 where, you know, it was never in doubt Alabama was clearly uh, the better team in winning, but but uh, Notre Dame, you know, somehow sneaks out of cover and gets it to 14 to 17 down the stretch.
1: Well, before we get out of here and get ready for a fun afternoon of watching Baylor favored by 43-and-a-half against Alcorn State, we're invested there. Let's get business beat. Hey, kids, gather around for business beat of the day.
0: Okay, here's business beat of the day. This is the last time you and I will be talking in this uh, truly bizarre year. So just wanted to say a happy new year to you, Trent, and anybody that's crazy enough to listen to this program on a regular basis. You know, it's clearly, I think, without without a doubt, the weirdest year of our lives. I mean, it's it's been a year we'll never forget. 2020 will always be a – you say the word 2020, you'll know exactly what happened. And, you know – there's been some silver linings to this year, Trent. I think one of them is it makes you kind of just take stock and, and you know, kind of look at what's important in your life and things like that. And I think you and I are incredibly fortunate people that we've got, you know, a great group of friends. We've got, you know, great wives. We've got great kids. We've got uh, a lot of supportive people around us. So, uh, it's been a weird year, but also, like I said, a the year where you kind of take stock and realize what's important. And I, I, I don't want to speak for you, but, uh, I'm a pretty darn lucky guy with with everybody I've got around me. So uh, hope two thousand and twenty one is different, but uh, in a lot of ways, uh, also appreciative uh, for some of the things that two thousand and twenty made you made you take notice of. So uh, happy new Year to you, teachers.
1: Yeah, well said, and uh, it's absolutely right. I think we've all had that time to reflect on what we have, and incredibly lucky. I'm lucky to be able to do what I do what we do on a normal basis every day, but I get to do it for my job and to bitch about the Hawkeyes if need be or have fun talking about them and, and to do it with you uh, once a week, you know, most weeks throughout the year. It's been so much fun being able to do this and our conversations that, you know, we've had for years at tailgates or going back to basketball camp or whatever it is for years, yelled about it, different things at each other and be able to do it and hopefully bring a little bit of uh, enjoyment to some people out there. Love the opportunity to do that. And hopefully soon enough we'll be able to to do it in person. How about this? Once we get to normal, we each get a vaccine, how about we do a live podcast together? Maybe we can find a spot either here in Des Moines when you're in town for work, or I'll even make my way over to Iowa City and do this thing in person, have some cold ones, and maybe we can invite two or three of our listeners. That's about all there is. They can come have a beer with us too. Well,
0: I, I will load Spat Boy up in the Visgard family cruiser and we'll, <laughs> we'll head over there, Trent. That's uh the... I, I'm, I'm in.
1: Perfect. That sounds wonderful. Biz, happy new year. We'll do it again next week, and hopefully we'll be talking about a basketball team that can go out to New Jersey and come back with a victory. All right,
0: go on.